HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This week's Meet and 3 is all about food branding and identity in 2020. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Everybody has some Goya product in their pantry. So obviously the biggest kind of loss from all of this is the students really working with a brand that they're very comfortable with, that they're very familiar with. I'll be honest, I was completely floored. I was very surprised that a company, especially in the current climate, would backtrack out of a commitment to address issues of racism. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's program was brought to you by Eating Tools, unique handmade eating and cooking tools. For more information, visit eatingtools.com. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Sandra Velasquez, NYC Area Sales Manager for Van Leeuwen Ice Cream and National Sales Rep for High Bar, the plastic-free hair care brand. Sandra also has a class called Distro 101 for Founders, totally focused, I love this, on the art and skills as sales, distribution, and merchandising. It's all the stuff no one told me when I first started in this industry, and no one seems to be talking about once you're in the industry, Um, but really critical stuff. Sandra, I'm so excited to have this conversation. It's one that I really think will help our listeners and that I wish we had um, earlier on. Um, You know, I think a lot of us are very focused on getting buyers to take our products but then we get a yes, and we don't really know what that means. Um, and it's just the beginning. Um, so I think uh, you're going to have a lot to teach me and us, and I'm really glad you're here. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I love your show, and, and I love that you're doing this for, for other food brands. I love when people help other people. Yeah. Um, I, I think... Someone was talking about this industry compared to other industries. And I don't know, I think because I started in hospitality, 
it is such a collaborative, all hands on deck, mm-hmm. everyone, like, of course, there's a little competition in, in every industry, but it mm-hmm. it is a very, I think, supportive. I've never met a chef or a restaurant owner that didn't kind of freely flow with mm. advice or resources or whatever. So mm-hmm. I was a little nervous going into CPG that mm-hmm. it would be a little more kind of cutthroat, but mm-hmm. I have not found that to be the case at all. Like, Everyone, if you're like, who's got a warehouse? Who's got a sales thing? Who knows this broker? Who knows that investor? I feel like in general, it's a very kind of sharing community. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I agree. I mean, I wish that I had had something to listen to two years ago. I think it would have saved me some cash. <laughs> yes, I know. And definitely, I always I hear that a lot from from people that are in my class too. Like, wow, I wish I would have taken this a year ago. And, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's also, I think, I, I think it's like, I think the people in it tend to be very forthcoming. I think the system itself of grocery stores and, mm-hmm. you know, categories and reset calendars and, mm-hmm. you know, reviews, I think that's kind of anachronistic. Although mm-hmm. when you have however many thousands of products in a finite amount of space, mm-hmm. it has to be managed in some way, you know, and, and I get, I get why. Mm -hmm. Um, but it also, everyone has different acronyms for everything. And, you know, it's all, it's all kind of all over the place. Um, so you're going to help break that down. Well, I hope so. Yeah. (laughs) But before you break it down, um, I'm always, as you know, as a listener of the podcast, really interested in how you kind of came to do what you do. Um, Mm -hmm. There wasn't obviously like math, you know, history and distribution and field marketing and merchandising when you Mm -hmm. were um, little. Mm -hmm. So I know you grew up in Southern California. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about that, about, you know, how you grew up, what you were like, what your life was like and what you wanted to be. Yeah. Um, I'm originally from San Diego, California, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think of as paradise. And (laughs) I've been in New York for 20 years and and it hurts to say that because that's a long time. But, um, you know, I grew up near the border. My parents, uh, you know, my family is Mexican and, um, I grew up with, um, you know, really, really awesome parents. My mother um, is from Mexico and she is a human rights activist and immigration lawyer. She's always on the news, um, just a real, like, you know, amazing powerhouse. story. Yeah, yeah. Just a powerhouse. And I'm just feel so lucky that I grew up with that. Mm-hmm. And that was normal to me. Um, yeah. And my father's an artist. And um, so I feel like I got both of these, um, you know, kind of qualities of like being a fighter, but also being artistic. And, yeah, um, that's beautiful. Yeah. And, um, and I moved to New York for music, because that was what uh, I wanted to do. And that's who I who I was. And that's what I thought I was going to do for my whole life. And, right. you know, the first time I visited New York, um, I said, oh, this is totally the place I need to be, you know, because I've always been a very fast paced person. And California right. was always a little too laid back for me uh, growing right. up. And of course, now I love it. Right. <laughs> yeah, but, um, I know. I'm like sounding good right about yeah, now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's why I moved to New York um, right out of music school. I went to music school in, in L.A. I went to CalArts right. uh, for piano, actually. And um Moved here to build my music career, which I did. Um, but I always yeah, have because a job. you are 
just to, to, for listeners out there, mm-hmm. I had no idea until today when I was kind of like topping off like the last of my questions and mm-hmm. I clicked on a couple of links. Mm-hmm. Obviously this has nothing to do with distribution or merchandising <laughs> or sales or products, but can you just tell people how to listen to the bands because they're really great. I mean, I was like moved to tears. So oh, just, you're so yeah. nice. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, the first band that I founded was actually here in New York. Um, it's called Pistolera. So it's it's a mix of like cumbia and rock, and which is like the music I grew up listening to. Because awesome. if you're from Southern California, you you have to listen to, you have no choice but to hear cumbia, like even if it's in the background coming right. out of taco shops. Right. And, um, and then also I grew up listening to Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix. So it was really the problem. <laughs> and um, so Pistolera is, I sing in Spanish. It's, you know, it's it's a... It's not a traditional band. It's it's our own mix. Um, and that was the right. band that I've had the longest. You know, we've played Town Hall and Celebrate Brooklyn, Central Park Summer Yeah, Day. A lot of great opportunities. Yeah, I've played for, with yep. Los Lobos a couple times. Very um, cool. Yeah, so just great opportunities. Um, and then when I had my daughter, uh, my manager at the time said, you know, have you thought about making a kid's record? And I was like, I don't even know what that is. What, right. <laughs> what, right. what, what does that mean? And so I was like, well, let me just give it a shot. So I wrote. I had to start a new band because I couldn't call a kid's band Pistoleta because that means female gunslinger. So ah, I, had okay. to, I had to give it a new name. So I called it Muna Luna because you could say it in both languages. Right. And um, I decided to make it bilingual to give it more of an educational um, mm-hmm. kind of you know thing. And so Muna Luna is then also to kind of took off. And I actually ended up doing a lot more with Muna Luna because um, it, there's always kids, yep, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a constantly regenerating market and, yep. um, there's always parents that need something to do with their kids. And I was yep. one of them at one point. Now my yeah. daughter's a little older. Um, right. so yeah, so Pistoleta and Muna Luna are the bands that have had the longest and we've made several records and it's played a very lot cool. I mean, that, yeah. it's like you're, that is a full on career and then yes. you launched this other thing. So how did you end up, I mean, I get sort of like, you know, the side gig and the mm-hmm. side hustle, et cetera. Yeah. Um, although this, the, yeah. I mean, how did you even get into, and how did you, how did you find your, your very specific niche? Yeah. I think everything I do is very niche. I mean, even starting like a bilingual kids band is very niche. right? right? Like, <laughs> yes. And when I tell That's people cool. that they're like, Oh, do you play birthday parties? I'm like, no, I, I play the Washington monument, you know? Right. And, right. Um, and I really think that, I, I actually carry that wisdom over into grocery because I think the more niche you are, the more successful you can be. And like the yeah. more you know who your audience is, like the more yeah. you can talk to them. Yeah. Um, and that's definitely the case even with CPG brands. So um, yeah. not saying that your product is for everybody, you know, is is a good thing. Um, so, I, I, yeah, yeah, I always had a day job. I worked at Barnard College, Columbia University for like 17 years <laughs> in the dance department. Oh, wow. That was like my day job. Um and, and then just one day an acquaintance of mine said, Hey, my family wants to start this health beverage company. And it looks like you're really mm-hmm. good at, you know, logistics and, and data mm-hmm. and people managing. So, um, you like, do you want to, you know, do you want to part- be part of it? And I said, um, sure, I guess this would be a great opportunity to get out of this office job. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's, it was really by accident that I ended up where I am now in grocery. And right. you know, when you, when you start a startup, as you know, like you learn everything the hard way yep. really quickly because every money is on the line and product is in the mm-hmm. warehouse and you have no choice but to 
like ask a million questions and, and learn everything as fast as you can. So that's yeah. really where I cut my teeth was in beverage, which I thought was a really competitive category. Now I work in ice cream, which I think is actually more competitive. Right. Well, it's funny because we had, um, I remember Gracie um, Dulick came on from Matcha Bar uh, mm-hmm. last year. And basically she was saying like, merchandisers and beverage are merciless. Like they will move your bottle over and they'll put their bottle in. I mean, that doesn't really happen in the dairy set. (laughs) Like we tend to, I guess, be like, that's nice. You look good. I'm going to straighten your, your little container. Um, But it's, you know, she was just saying you would go, you would merchandise and then you'd leave. And 10 seconds later, someone would come in and just completely like, move yeah. all your stuff to the back and put all of their bottles or cans or whatever mm-hmm. in front. It's, yeah, it's brutal. It's brutal. Yeah. And, you know, when you have a product that can only be merchandised in the cold case or in the freezer, mm-hmm. you know, you have, that's the only place you can be. So you, it's, it just makes it a little more cutthroat. Like, yeah. you know, as opposed to like chocolate where you could be like on the coffee bar, or like yeah. at the register, in the yeah. impulse aisle, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. Um, so how did you end up at Van Leeuwen? Well, it, you know, fun story is that I've actually known the Van Lewins for 17 years um, mm. because uh, Pete Van Lewin was uh, my roommate pretty much um, no in Greenpoint. Way. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. And one day he was like, yeah, me and my brother were going to start an ice cream company. And I was like, mm-hmm. what? <laughs> um, and so he started in, in this business before me. Um, mm-hmm. And this, because this was obviously a long time ago, Van Lewin's been around for over 12 years now. Right. And I was at their first tasting in our apartment in Greenpoint. And we all filled out like note cards, like which right. chocolate would be like the best. And um, and so it's just been amazing to watch them grow to what they are now. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they never thought that they would get to be what they are now. You know, right. they were like, we just want to sell ice cream out of truck. Yeah, and- they had that cute yellow truck. Yeah. Exactly. And then they had another cute yellow truck. Yep. And then um, they had a store. Yeah. Another store. And so, um, and it just so happened that I had left, you know, I was working at Mass Brothers part time and mm-hmm. I ran into Pete at, at Expo East and he was like, you're working for Mass Brothers? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, yeah, let me know if you like, you guys need any help. And he was like, well, actually we do. Right. <laughs> so, um, so that's actually how that happened. It was just um, good timing, you know. When were you working? When did did you work for Mass Brothers when that whole sort of chocolate authenticity thing? I didn't. Happened? That was yeah. I was I was after that, but right. I, I think that they were still in the aftermath, you know. But they moved, yeah. you know, so they were they were in Brooklyn for a long time and they moved yeah. up to West um Westchester to Mount okay. Kisco. Right. So, you know, they they rebranded and I think they were kind of starting over, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that might have been an interesting yeah. And to be there, I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So what, how did you, yeah. I mean, like, so you went over to Van Leeuwen and did you sort of assess what they needed or were you there to do a specific job? Were they, were they looking to kind of start approaching more buyers? Like where, where did you find your expertise and your, you know, your specialization yeah. basically. Yeah. I mean, they, um, they've been so focused on their own retail stores that, mm-hmm. that they actually have never had someone to just manage New York, like, mm-hmm. which is their hometown, you know, like this is right. where they make the ice cream. This is where they're based. Everyone knows who they are here. And they just, you know, they created a new position the the New York area sales manager specifically for the grocery side of their business, which they right. had, you know, like I said, they had really, there's, they have so much on their plate. I mean, they're manufacturers. They also have their own stores and right. they're in grocery stores. Like that's a lot. So, well, I think this is actually, I hate to interrupt. Sorry. Yeah, but I think please. this is actually very pertinent because a lot of people right now are 
you know, a lot of friends of mine with restaurants or, you know, bakeries or whatever are trying mm-hmm. to figure out if they have a product, mm-hmm. if they have a product that's viable yeah. and how to sort of like, you know, hedge a mm-hmm. bit and like get out of brick and mortar or mm-hmm. at least buy their time mm-hmm. and see if there's something in wholesale that they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one thing that I kind of say to everyone, because I'm all for it, and mm-hmm. some of them will no doubt be incredibly successful at it, mm-hmm. but it's not an also ram. Like it can't, it can't be just like, yeah, and we'll have some stores. Because, <laughs> right. Like yeah. you need to fully dedicate yeah. a body and mm-hmm. like a, a week of work to that job. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that everyone totally gets it. And I, and I think mm-hmm. this is a really good segue into why, and like, yeah. why is that job? Because it's not just sales and that's what mm-hmm. people misunderstand. It's not just, Hey, here's my ice cream. Great. Here yeah. you go. It's all, you, you know? know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So tell me, yeah. Tell me. Yeah, exactly. No, you're absolutely right. And and I think that um, that is, you know, I'm glad you said that out loud because that is um, a misconception. And even I remember when I first entered into grocery, you know, having that kind of naive view that like, oh, it's my job to make the product and then we get it into the stores and then they're going to sell it. Right. Like they're going to it's going to then right. kind of take care of itself, which, of course, now I, I can't even believe that I ever mm-hmm. thought that. <laughs> but um you know, it's right. true. Like you have, someone has to engage, you know, and especially when you're in a city like New York, which is such a, you know, high foot traffic, high velocity city. Um, like someone has to physically go and visit your accounts, check on them, merchandise, like form those relationships, humanize your brand. And, um, right. you know, that is um, just this assumption that the store is going to take care of it or take care of your product. Like your product is one of thousands. And, you know, how do they know your product is not made by Procter and Gamble or General Mills? Like they don't, you know, unless you show up and you're like, hi, I'm a person like you, I have kids, you have kids. We both have to pay the rent. Like, let Mm -hmm. me, you know, like let's help each other. Um, It like someone has to do that. It's you have to engage. Right. Which, which gets me to sort of like, you know, when I, when I was looking through sort of the notes that you talked about when you talk about Distro 101, which mm-hmm. sounds like a great class, by the way, hey. I sort of, I think I wrote back, you know, three things or, you know, mm-hmm. you at some point had sent me three things. And mm-hmm. the first thing is the importance of merchandising. Yeah. So let's, let's just explain what mm-hmm. merchandising is. And then why it's important. Yes. Um, And, you know, full circle, because I think I mentioned to you previously that I actually use part of your presentation from the Whole Foods Supplier Summit in my class. Um, And I love that this has come full circle and now I'm on your podcast because um, and I use what you presented at the Whole Foods Supplier Summit to show my students like, look, I want you to hear from someone else besides me. Like, this is not my opinion that I'm telling you, like hear it from someone else who is already who was doing it, who like was successful doing it. And um, to give our like listeners context on that. So yeah. basically I was invited to speak at the, so Whole Foods has these regional conferences for um, all the different products and, you know, they have sampling for, you know, a lot of times people that work in the stores don't mm-hmm. actually get to taste your products. Totally. Um, and so it's an opportunity for people on the ground at Whole Foods to get a chance to meet the people who are behind these products and mm-hmm. sample their wares, basically. Also, there's like Whole Foods leadership and stuff like that there. So my 
my goal of the presentation was, you know, if I'm in a room full of people that have products, I might as well try to like help them rather than talking about my mm-hmm. product because yeah. that just felt obnoxious. So mm-hmm. I kind of made this presentation on at the beginning, I thought going on promotion indicated that there was something wrong and you needed to go on sale. Mm. And wrong. I -hmm. thought that the people in the stores being like, hi, do you want to try my nut butter or my tea or Mm -hmm. whatever were provided by the store as just like a thing that they did for all of their products. Again, yeah, Yeah. I I had no clue because I was just a grocery store shopper, right? Right. So the presentation that that you're referring to or that she's referring to um, is I basically said like, it's it's important to ha- to go on promo. It's important to give deals. Mm-hmm. It t- shows your buyer that you want to work with them. It also mm-hmm. drives trial, which just is yeah. like a fancy way of saying like it gets people who would otherwise not try something new mm-hmm. to try it new. And then the hope is is that after you're on promotion, there's what's called a lift, where yep. like let's say ten people bought your product before. Two of them try it when it's on sale and one of them buys it again when yeah. it's not on sale. Yeah. Um, and then the importance of doing demos, which I realized yeah. actually cost us money. And yeah. What, you know, Sandra's talking about mostly that, again, I didn't know. And it's not in all stores because some stores do do this more than others. But mm-hmm. making sure your things look good. I know. Just yeah, making that, sure that they're standing up straight and they're facing front. Yeah. And that's, I think, the thing that a, a lot of new brands, like I remember thinking this, that the store handled that, right? Like, isn't mm-hmm. that, and people still ask me this, like, isn't that the store's job? Isn't that what they're getting paid to do? Aren't they getting paid to stock the shelves and like make it look nice? I'm like, well, right. technically, yes, but there's just not enough people there at the store right. to to like manage all the SKUs, you know? And when you're right. talking about like Whole Foods Columbus Circle, you know, it's just bananas. So like right. you as a brand have to show up and like be responsible for your brand. And I actually and tell- other people's brands. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, I just tell people like, look at it like this, like you could, you have the option of going and opening your own brick and mortar and doing whatever you want and making up your own rules. Or you can say, oh, thank you so much, uh, brick and mortar, you know, store Whole Foods or whoever, like for lending me your real estate that you're mm-hmm. paying for and that you're paying your employees, like health insurance and like, you know, salaries so that I can come and sell my product, uh, you know, at your store. And look at it like that, where it's like you, they are lending you re- like precious real estate, you know, so totally. that you can go in. Um, and that's a really different mindset um, yeah. than assuming that they're going to handle everything. So, yeah, your your presentation on merchandising um, is really eye opening and, and really kind of like, you know, seals the deal oh, when I'm like, listen, you. <laughs> you if you're not on the planogram, you know, um, you have to be like, you have to take care of your product on the shelf. Like you physically have to go. It's not something that you can do over the phone. Um, You can't do it by email, like, like get on the subway and go there. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny. So talking about planogram. So just for, you know, for those of you, and I I really only know, because there's, there's so much out there, like, now you can't be a regional brand anymore at Whole Foods. And, and I didn't have that experience. We mm-hmm. were in 14 New York City stores. Then we were in 43 New mm-hmm. England, you know, Northeast stores. Yeah. And then we went to like the 480 across mm-hmm. the country or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. 
but there is still very much a local program yeah. at, at, you know, Whole Foods, at least in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're amazing people and they're looking for great stories, great producers. Mm-hmm. They're looking for products that have, you know, interesting founders or histories. Um, innovation. Innovation that fill sort of consumer needs. They're, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're looking for you. Um, mm-hmm. And then... What what Sandra was saying about the planogram is until you're kind of in the larger Whole Foods system, mm-hmm. you're there isn't a set space for you. Yeah. Because the, the powers on high basically look at the store and they want the stores to resemble each other so that, mm-hmm. you know, the sauerkraut is always in relatively the same place. Yeah. And the sauerkraut is next to the other sauerkraut in relatively yeah. the same place. And those decisions are made. And then the regional buyer gets to plug in stuff. And then the local buyer gets to plug in stuff. And then yeah. oftentimes it's just the dudes on the floor that are like moving things over a little totally. bit and, and making some tags for you. Yeah, exactly. Which I totally didn't know. I had no idea about any of this. Like I had a product on the shelves of Whole Foods and I didn't know this. And I would just like knock heads with my distributor mm. and be like, aren't you supposed to be, you know, merchandising? Mm. Because a lot of times in New York, especially mm-hmm. before you go to sort of like a larger distributor, you start with like what's called a DSD, which mm-hmm. is you know, like Rainforest or Dora's. Rainforest or Dora's. And, mm-hmm. and there are a couple of them and mm-hmm. and the, their thing is like they they don't just drop you off in a case in the back and hope that someone picks you up and puts you in the right spot mm-hmm. they actually take you to your spot on the shelf yeah um, they're supposed to yeah they're right. <laughs> but you know again they're super overworked and underpaid too 100 yeah and you know and i'm in a different part of the store so you mm-hmm. know i and i had chris on actually from dora's like they're they're primarily beverage. Yeah, I'm in a completely different area, and they're not there every single day to like exactly. make sure my pouches are standing up straight. Right, so, right, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So I, you know, part of my job at Van Leeuwen is to manage Dirty Hands, which is a merchandising mm-hmm. team, and mm-hmm. you know they go to Whole Foods uh, every day. Right. <laughs> because in New York, you kind of have to, you yeah. know, um, especially if you're in a high velocity. Um, category, you know, like you make like a peanut butter cup or you make, you know, a snack or a chip or a drink, things that like people are grabbing on their lunch breaks, you know, those yeah. shelves get messy in like five minutes, you know. And ideally, like a company like Dirty Hands, ha- I should get, I maybe I should, maybe we should see if I can get someone from Dirty Hands. Oh, for sure. Time. I'll put you in touch. Yeah, that'd be great. But ideally, they also, there's an element of relationship building yeah. that, um, that you hope that these guys have with the guys on the floor, because ideally they're not only making your, your bottle or the jar or your pouch in my case look good, but they're mm-hmm. also saying like, Hey, you know, we only have two left. You're Can probably you going to want to reorder. Um, Absolutely. That's part of their job. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And, um, and no one's doing that for you if you're not doing it for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Like just going back to my point of like, just pretend like you have to go and do all the work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, just assume that. And if, and if someone else takes care of it, like then you just think you're lucky stars, you know, yep. but don't assume that someone else is handling something for you. Um, you know, same thing, any distributor like dirty hands or, you know, 
or even people that work at the store, like you're not their only brand, right? right. So only, you only are the only one that wakes up thinking about your brand, you know, because yeah. it's your baby. Um, yep. Whereas everyone else has other imperatives, like from their bosses, you know, yep. that they have to take care yep. of. And it's not your product specifically. Okay. I think that's a really good place to take a break. Everyone get your like pens and your paper <laughs> ready. And when we get back, um, we're going to talk about all the nitty gritty, all of it. Inspired by the finely crafted tools built at the hands of friends in and around custom knife making and with a love of all things food, Abe Shaw began forging a collection of culinary tools unlike any other. Collecting and working with custom and handmade knives for over a decade, Abe has developed a deep respect and admiration for the artists, metalsmiths, woodworkers, and craftspeople behind the endless interpretations of these ancient tools that feed us, the most intimate tools in our lives. They needed a showcase, and Eating Tools was born. The curated collection of unique and extraordinary handmade culinary utensils you'll find here, along with a hand-picked selection of top-quality production-made pieces, represents a catalog of products never before assembled in one place. Many of these products can only be found at Eating Tools. Food, cooking, craftsmanship, and art are their ingredients. There's no substitute for having the right tool for the job, and Eating Tools promises to bring you just that. They think you'll agree that the food-loving visionaries behind each of their products has an eye for the tools we use every day. For more information, visit eatingtools.com. I'm back with Sandra Velasquez from Distro 101. Okay, so the three things. Um, one of them, and I think number one is also number one through ten, which is merchandising. <laughs> And I was going to ask you sort of how would you advise someone to think about it? And I think you said it perfectly. Assume no one else is thinking about it and you are the only person thinking about it and you have to do everything. Yes. And, and it is expensive, just to be clear. Like mm -hmm. you're paying human people mm -hmm. to go to physical places and mm -hmm. like make things look good and build relationships. So yes. it is something that you need to budget for. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think one thing I'd like to ask you about is sort of the art of this or the need for this mm -hmm. or how it's changed mm -hmm. with fewer people in the actual stores mm -hmm. and more prime, you know, shoppers mm -hmm. or people doing the shopping for prime customers in the yeah. store. Mm -hmm. more people ordering on, you know, through Instacart or whatever mm -hmm. it is, depending on the store. Mm -hmm. How do you, how have you adjusted your thoughts? Um, how are you, would you recommend necessarily like focusing on the merchandising right now, or maybe using some of that budget allocation for something else? Like mm -hmm. how, how is COVID affecting all of this? Yeah, I mean, definitely uh, there was a period in the middle of COVID that Whole Foods asked the merchandisers to come less often because they didn't want to risk the spread of infection. Right. So previously, you know, the dirty hands were going into Whole Foods Northeast um, every day. Um, right. And then there was a period of time where they said, you guys can only go to like one or two stores a week. Mm -hmm. um, and so that that was rough. Um, but that's over now. They've now reinstated that 
everyone can go back to their normal schedules. Um, and, you know, I actually advise people like founders to merchandise themselves so that mm-hmm. they understand what it is, yep. you know, um, because, you know, the reason that Dirty Hands or, or any merchandising company had the reason they have relationships with the people at the stores is because they go there. It's really yeah. just that simple. Yeah. Like you have to show up. Yeah. So you can't become friends with somebody if you don't get to hang out with them. <laughs> so yeah. um, I just advise founders to go and like, you know, dig in and get their hands dirty. Um, no pun intended. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that and- was my first year. I think my first year I made sure that I visited at least three stores a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew all the guys' names. Yeah. I- tried not to annoy them. Mm-hmm. Um, inevitably, I'm sure I annoyed them. <laughs> and, you know, they're, you know, I think in the old, like the, in like, they call, like in, you know, the halcyon days of merchandising, people would bring cigarettes or. Right, <laughs> right, right. You know, or things. Totally. Um, I'm sure that still happens, but. <laughs> I, I was like, do you want a bagel? Like yeah. I, I was never really that good at the, Hey, you know, buddy, like we're, I tried to introduce myself. I tried to say, this is my product. Can I, you know, can I explain anything to you? I really appreciate your time, you know, that kind of, and yeah, yeah, not always the most comfortable, you know, right. Right. And I think there is a, you know, if you were to like piggyback, you know, or like be a fly on the wall when Dirty Hands is merchandising, you would see that they're just going and being very casual. Like, right. um, th- like there's no, we're not showing up like the census board, you know, and we're not being stiff, you know, we're going in, we're hanging out, we're fist bumping, you know, um, we're, we're just there to help. You know yeah. what I mean? That's like what a merchandiser is, is like you become an extension of the store right. and, um, and you form relationships with people by going there repeatedly, you know, like, I merchandise Wegmans in Brooklyn for Van Leeuwen because we sell direct. And, um, you know, now I'm at the point with the frozen buyer where we talk about our kids, you know, we like chit chat because he has seen me like, you know, twice a week for like the last half a year. (laughs) So um, it's just something that you, that, that builds, you know, you can't, you can't make friends with somebody or build a relationship because you showed up once. And, Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because I've, for for people who've listened to this before, I do talk a lot about the relationship piece of all of this. And how I think that a lot of companies thought that they could disrupt for lack of a better word, that by taking all of these, what they saw as like middlemen out of the equation and selling directly to their consumers. Mm. The thing is that what they've done is they've replaced the middlemen of the distributor and the grocery store buyer with Facebook, essentially, Mm. right? Just by buying ads. Mm. Um, And that works to a certain extent, but at the end of the day, you kind of can't take, and I think this is why I love brick and mortar, and why I stopped, why some of the automation and the like, it's going to be amazing. We're going to have a restaurant without any people in it kind <laughs> right. of thing, bothers me because mm-hmm. I think what makes us human is like this shared experience of being human. And yeah. when you try to make it all tech and you yeah. try to take that out, you end up with such a transactional world. Yeah. And not very much to fall back on. And mm-hmm. the, the problem is, is that because we live in an increasingly sort of transactional world, yeah. when you do try to establish a human connection, it almost feels disingenuous. Like you almost mm-hmm. feel like you're 
using someone or mm-hmm. fakely relating to them about their kids, but it's mm. real. And that's absolutely real. Like a mind, like a mind screw almost because like mm-hmm. you, you are connecting, but then you feel mm-hmm. kind of like, well, am I now I feel like now I'm over the top or something, you know? Mm. No, I totally agree. Like there, you, people ask, I think people look for shortcuts, you know? Right. And, and I'm like, there is, like the, the secret trick is that you have to show up. Right. <laughs> that yeah. is, that is the hack. That's the tip I'm going to give you. Like, um, you, like you can't replace that, you know, like there's some things that can only be sold in person. And I think that that's why merchandising, um, is, is so important because you can't just call it on the phone. You can't just send an email to the Northeast buyer. You can't just, you know, it's, it's prob- there's a lot of problems in grocery that can only be solved in person on the ground because yeah. grocery is, is an on the ground, very, very analog business. You know, yeah. it's like the U S postal service. It's like a person walks around with a bag on wheels and puts pieces <laughs> of paper in people, these little boxes, you know, it's grocery is like that. It's still very analog, you know, but I saw, did you see last week in like when there was the whole sort of a hullabaloo about the, the post office, there was like a meme mm-hmm. going around, like, USPS is like the only mail system that isn't owned privately. Mm. Like it's, it's a government service Mm -hmm. as opposed to everything else, which benefits someone other than Mm -hmm. you. And there's something similar to that in that Mm -hmm. analogy, right? Like this is a direct relationship. You're not going through Facebook or Instagram. No, no. Yeah. Owning a consumer, like you are actually able to work directly with your customer Yes, in, in a way that you can't. Um, yes. I'm just so, so hardcore grocery that, you know, I feel like such a Luddite half the time, but. But I, mean, I think it's, it's true. Yeah. Like it's, we, I like to touch my broccoli. Right, right. <laughs> I want to, I want to pick the steak I'm going to eat. And I think that um, it's true that we live in such a digital world and, and we th- and there's so many things that you can do just like by the click of a button on your phone, but there's some things that are still very much in person. I mean, like just going back to like being a musician, like mm-hmm. I find that trying to watch a concert online is nowhere near anything like being there in person. Like you right. just can't replace that experience. And so there's just some things that are very, very analog and in person and learning how to build relationships is honestly like a great skill to have in any industry that you're in, yeah. you know? So if you don't know how to like show up and hang out with somebody and ask them how they're doing and like be genuine about it, um, you know, so they you can start talking about your kids at some point, like then um, you're going to have a hard time, I think, in any industry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's back up a little bit because we are now assuming that you're on the shelf, but let's talk about getting on the shelf. Let's talk about, you know, I mean, especially right now, I'm, it's very hard to get buyers to even write back. It's Mm -hmm. very hard for, I mean, I don't even know if they're reading their emails, if you do get their emails, Mm -hmm. um, how do you build a relationship with someone on the other side who basically is inundated with people trying to build relationships with them Mm -hmm. and seem relatively uninterested in connecting with you? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we get incoming. It's very much fun. Hi, I saw your product. I'd love to buy it. Great. Mm -hmm. Most Mm -hmm. of the time you're pitching. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've been pitching, just so you know, like I've been pitching through COVID the entire time. Like we never stopped selling. I never stopped pitching. I have a, I had a meeting last week. I have a meeting this Thursday Mm -hmm. um, with the chain store. And, um, you know, there's a couple things. 
Um, again, building a relationship is not something that you can do like in a snap of a finger. So it takes time going back and forth with people, you know, um, and how you approach people is also really important um, because I certainly made the, the, the newbie mistake uh, when I was working in beverage of talking about myself and my product way too much, mm-hmm. like when you're doing your initial outreach. And that is not a service mindset. That's me. Like sales is not you trying to convince people to agree with you. Like if you just were to taste it, then you would agree, you know, or like right. if you were just to try it, like it's, you know, buyers don't bring in things just because they like how they taste, you know, mm-hmm. that's like, you have to have a service mindset of what is it that they need? And that requires you to do some homework, you know, like, have you gone to the store? Have you seen what other sauces they have on the shelf? Like, right. how are you, how is your sauce going to bring something to their category that is going to help them make money, you know, and right. understanding that, you know, their pressure is like, they're under pressure to, to, you know, grow their categories and, yeah, to bring and innovation. I every, if, I mean, and I, I think I've also said this, like, if you think about, you know, you have 10 spots, yeah, every single one of those spots has to be very productive in order for the whole yes. store to work. Yes. So you're like, you might have, as I said, the best cookie or the best chip mm-hmm. or the best cracker in the world. Yeah. But if it's not going to like move a lot and be productive for that shelf or fill a need yes. because they don't happen to have a gluten-free one or they need, exactly. they need something with beans, as I always say, but, yeah. but you need to, like, I think what you're saying is so important. Like you can't just be like, Hey, Mr. Buyer, you'll love my sauce. Yeah. Like, you have to go in and be like, I noticed that this is how you have meal solutions yeah, exactly. and this would be really great. And this, and this is why, and this is how, you know, the velocity compares to the thing that I saw next to it. Exactly. The price point and, you and know, here's your margin. Yeah. I will support you by doing X, Y, and Z. Yes, absolutely. And, and that is, um, you know, when I, when I enroll students in my class, I always have like exploratory calls with them first to just make sure that it's a good fit. And, you know, I feel like I crush a lot of people by telling them like, it's not a, like, it doesn't matter how many, you know, pounds of ocean waste plastic your product is going to save. I mean, I work for high bar, like that is their, it's a mission-based company. Like that is what their mission is, is to remove plastic from your bathroom. But I can tell you that that's not why Whole Foods brought them in. That's not why I sold into Nugget Market. It's not why Unify led us on board. It's because of the innovation of the product. It's because of the packaging, because it doesn't look like a bar of soap. It's because of many other things. Like, and the fact that it's going to save, you know, however many tons of ocean waste plastic is like great, but that's not why the stores let us in, you know? And a lot of like passionate founders that are I talk to a lot of brands who are like ha- have mission-based products, you know, and they yeah. want to tell that story. And I'm like, that's, that's great. But you need to reduce that to one sentence because that's right. not why the store is going to bring you in, you know, like, so walk me to- through, I mean, I know we're giving away. Yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm happy to give away. But- like I'm, I, I want people to know, like, yeah. <laughs> like people need to know, like, yeah. stop, stop. Tell like, me. like, no right. long paragraphs, <laughs> no long paragraphs in your pitch emails. Like, yeah, bullet out a really good intro yeah. email form. Yeah. So number one, the subject line, please do not write subject lines that say question for you, new product. Hello. <laughs> uh, like, right. um, this is, I, I equate this to when you get a piece of mail at your house that says current resident, you know, I, I know <laughs> that you've gotten those, I've gotten those and those go straight into the trash because those pieces yep. of mail were not written to me. They don't know who I am. They're just hoping that whoever lives here opens this and takes this offer. Right. So 
Yeah. Please no boring subject lines. I need to like I have 300 emails in my inbox. I need to know what they're about before I open them. Right. So it's not about being like cute or clever. It's about being direct and being like, you know, like all of my subject lines have your name, my company and your store name in the subject line. You know, um, and so that people know like, oh, I know who they are, right? Because I did my homework. I found out who the buyer was. I got their email and I'm writing to them personally. And that's all in the subject line, right? And then they open it and it's like, I introduce myself and my product and why it's special in one sentence. Like Mm -hmm. there's no paragraphs. I use like bullet points, right? Um, And I always embed a product picture in my email so that people can, like, they have no choice but to see it, right? Because, and this should be like a, your gorgeous beauty shot, by the way, right? Not, this is not an iPhone picture. (laughs) This is like, you know, when you see a picture of, you know, high bars, you know, a high bar, you're like, wow, that's gorgeous. I've never seen anything like that. And because if I just try to explain it to you, like, oh, zero waste shampoo, everyone just pictures a bar of soap, right? Right. So, you know, my email, like the subject line is like to the point, um, I introduce myself, I, you know, I ask them a question about like their process, like, you know, when are you reviewing the hair care set next? You know, right. is your review still on schedule? Like, do you accept appointments? I'm asking them about them. So it's not right. me talking about me. I'm not like going right. on and on about the founders, like no one cares. Right. So yeah. like, I'm not talking about my ingredients. I'm not right. telling them like, you know, my, there's no feelings or opinions, right? This is not a feelings or opinions based, uh, like interaction. Like I am asking questions about them. And, um, and then, you know, I, it's very, very simple. And that's, and when people see my emails, cause I show in my class, I show people my inbox, <laughs> they're always surprised at how short it is, you know? Right. And I'm like, well, that's because people are inundated. Like yeah. don't give people homework, no right. homework to buyers. Don't give them homework. Don't make them open attachments. Like just, to the point, like, who are you? What do you want? <laughs> yeah. No, and, I think that's um, incredible advice. Honestly, like the subject line alone. Yeah. You know, and now I'm thinking like, oh, how many long winded, like, hi from HK. Yeah. Smiley face. <laughs> like, right. You know, right. Oh, gosh. How many I of those have I written? So this is amazing. Super yeah. Super- yeah. And, you know, I, I, I came to that point from because I used to make those mistakes, too. Like I went on and on about like the ingredients and where they're sourced from and what it's going to do for your, but you know, your microbiome and right. like the story of the founders. And like, you know, people like like I tell my students, I'm like, we are not applying for a college scholarship. Right. So this is not a merit based system. You're not getting into the store because you're a good person, because you're yeah. doing something good for the world. Like that's great, you know, and that's that's a story for your customers because mm-hmm. that's why they're gonna be lifelong fans because they want to support brands that are, you know, saving the kelp forest or, or right. whatever, right? But um when we're talking about a buyer, like it has to you I teach people how to talk like a broker because right. if you were gonna hire a broker for like $2,500 a month, they are not going to go on and on about your story or about your ingredients. Right. They're just going to be like, here's the picture. Here's the price. They're available from Unify York. You know, yeah. are you reviewing? That's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's amazing. So, so let's say they write back. Yeah. And they're like, oh, hey. Yeah. Now, we talk a lot about like supporting them. Yeah. Helping yes. them. Bringing yes. them something that, you know, serves their needs. Yes. What does that mean in real terms? Like yes. what are things that actually support a buyer? Yes. Number one, a placement deal. So your offer, I often just put the placement deal offer in my email. It depends on who I'm writing. So I don't always, but, um, you know, like I just, what's that? 
free case exactly or 50 percent placement deal you know um i tried to you know to not give them like 100 percent mcb but i tried to you know 50 percent in grocery is pretty standard so you know i might put the placement deal mcb manufacturer chargeback um which is charged back to you if you're working with a distributor um you need to know what mcb is and and how it's calculated so it's always based off of the wholesale price not your price to the distributor um but um I sometimes I put the placement deal in there or I'll just say like we can offer a placement deal. So I won't give a number. Um, So a placement deal helps. um, And then quarterly promotions, right? This is just kind of the standard in groceries to have quarterly promotions. And um, I recently presented to a store where I show them our promotion schedule and they noticed a gap. They were like, huh, I see you don't have anything in the spring. I'm like, oh, we'll add it. We'll add it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, because that's what they're looking for is consistency in your support. Right. Um, Right. So definitely like a placement deal helps because this helps mitigate their risk. Because again, like how do they know your product is going to sell, right? right? Like they're going to give you a shot and, you know, it better sell so that they can place a reorder and then you'll, you can start making money. But I'll never forget. I like our first PO, you know, we were all excited and I was like, "Mm, let's wait for the second PO before we like ring any bells or like jump up and down because like, yeah, you can get the first one. But if people don't take it off the shelf, they're yeah. not reordering. You yeah, know? it's all about the reorder for sure, yeah. for sure. So, so keeping the buyer happy, you're promoting. That means you know, one supporter. Yeah, doing some sort of a sale. Mm-hmm. That could be anything from like a dollar off to a two for one to you know whatever it is. Absolutely, yeah. You can, and sometimes they they have ads you know that they like for the brands to take out. Like, oh, you have to do our seven hundred dollar monthly ad or, or and by you know, the every way, store has their own thing. No one reads any of those things. That's not the point of the ad. Yeah, like, 100%. I learned that very early on. I'm like, why would I put an ad in your circular? And then it's <laughs> yeah. like, oh wait, this is a way for them to get cash. Yes. Like, yes. Yes. Straight into the garbage. It doesn't matter. Yeah. The point of you taking out that ad is not to actually promote as much yeah. as it is to just give money to the store for rent. And like, Exactly. And I I look at it like a wedding gift, you know, you're just like, here, like, I'm going to give this to you. And I hope that you guys stay together. Um, And uh, yeah, absolutely. It's really like a gesture, you know, it's like, okay, it just shows them that number one, you understand that you have to support. Number two, you are there to support. And number three, you have the money to play this game, you know, because you can't show up and just say, I made this great product, but I don't have any money to support. Like, no, you know, (laughs) that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. So then in terms of velocity, I yeah. think if there's one word that like I've said more on this podcast than <laughs> yeah. any other word, velocity. Yeah. My poor team, all they hear is like velocity, velocity. I know. To be clear, for those of you who haven't heard me explain it, yeah. it's like the number of pouches per SKU, per store, per week that I'm selling. Correct. So there is a market... Obviously, every category has a different average velocity. Yes. Chips sell very quickly. Beverages sell very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, You have different velocities depending. I'm sure Van Leeuwen has a very different velocity in February than it does in August. Mm -hmm. Um, But you got to know what your goal is. Yes. Goal is based on like your category. Correct. Other people in it and your own you know, your own goals. Like we were saying before with the lift, 
if you're selling, you know, six units per SKU per store per week and you do a promotion, you're hoping that in two months from now, you're selling eight Mm -hmm. uh, or seven or whatever it is. Um, So the goal is to not to go into a ton of different stores and not sell very much. Correct. The goal is to be in fewer stores and sell a lot and then be able to tell that story and continue to grow out. Yes. Um, And I love that part of your Whole Foods presentation, Ali, because I also like try to hammer that point home because, you know, it's really exciting as a new brand to say like, we're in a hundred stores. And I'm like, okay, but how are you doing in those 100 stores? Yeah. Are you actually selling? Because there is no way mm -hmm. to get back in if you get kicked out. Yeah. It's it's hard. They will remember. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's true. Uh, Velocity over doors. Absolutely. And you're going to get pressure, and we all do, from investors. You're going to get, how many doors are you in? If yeah. you're ever in a news article, they're going to say, how many doors? No one says, what's your velocity? I know. A good investor. Um, but it's not the first thing out of everyone's mouth. So, I know. But, but you will get more doors if your velocity is good. And, yes. And build the story. You know, take one market. Put your eggs in that market's basket. Like, so, yeah. Get them, you know, get them cranking and then put a page in your deck. That's yes. like, we took this store and we went from this to this and here's how we did it. So absolutely, how, how, yes. velocity, how do you talk about improving velocity? Yeah. Well, first of all, you need to find out what your expe- your velocity expectation is for your category. And, you know, this is hard for a lot of new brands because they're like, well, they're starting out and they're like, I can't pay for spins data, you know, and also they're not on the spins chart. So like, it's not like they can use that for their pitch decks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, the quick and dirty way is honestly just to ask the store. Like I do this all the time, just, you know, when I'm in the field, like I ask the store, like, Hey, like, what are your top three sellers? And they'll say like, Oh, you know, this, that, and the other. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like how many are they selling a week? And they'll tell me, and then I'll say, what are like, what's not moving? And they'll tell me, you know, and I, I, I feel like the store is a very underrated um, or like overlooked resource for getting yeah. information. And um, those are the people that are stocking the shelves. They know, you know, yeah. what's popular. They know what's flying off the shelves because they're like, God, I have to restock that again, you know? <laughs> and um, so I always recommend for people to ask the stores Right. Um, and just to get a benchmark for yourself, like, okay, what's my goal? Like, how do I know if I'm doing good? I've also asked, I mean, we're going into Target in a couple months and uh-huh. there's my dog. Um, and I just asked him, I was like, what yeah. are your expectations for us in the first six months? So at least I know how I'm doing. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. With a little grain of salt, you know. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Ask the store buyers if you have that opportunity for sure. I mean, like I, like, you know, I work for Van Leeuwen, which is, you know, they have a different velocity than high bar, which is a shampoo. Right. And so I, that was a learning curve for me. Like, okay, what's the velocity expectation for, for shampoo? And obviously it's very different. Right. (laughs) And so if you were, if you were in a slump or let's, let's give a concrete example, we have a few that like flies off the shelf. Mm-hmm. We have a bunch that are like doing very well. We have one that is a little sluggish mm-hmm. and I feel like she's my, like the kid on the team that has so much potential, but mm-hmm. just is like nervous at bat or like doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, just yeah. like isn't quite, mm. and I don't want to kick her off the team. Yeah. I really don't. I want her on the team. Yeah. Um, what would you do if you were me to mm-hmm. get 
her velocity up. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is rough when there's, I mean, Van Leeuwen, not every flavor that we've ever made is still made because mm-hmm. we're always either reformulating or we're discontinuing our own SKUs, right, For because they're low sellers. And, you know, we also have 31 SKUs, right? So keep yeah. that in mind, right? So when you have only five and you're like, oh, I don't want to ha- just have four, like I understand that, like how that can be painful. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, if you have, uh, you know, a SKU that's like underperforming compared to the others, you can... Um, you know, try to push that into other stores to, um, because people always ask you, right, what your ranking is, right? Yeah, like, okay, I can only, I only have room for three, right? So right. Get, tell me your top three. And if you really think that like this one just needs a better shot, like I did that when I was in beverage, like I was like, oh, actually this, here's our top three. And it really wasn't, but it was <laughs> just to give it a shot, you know, um, because I knew that if it was, had better opportunity, it could perform better. Right. Um, but I do think that, you know, you want to evaluate your SKUs and, and if there is a need for a reformulation, you might want to, you know, look right. at that. Name change. Um, yeah. Name change. Yeah. If there's something about it. Um, I think that that drive to always improve your product is, is important for, for any, yeah. any food brand. So in, in, I mean, really what we're talking about then is like not necessarily SKU specific, but velocity bringing up, you know, aside from promotions, aside from demos, bringing up the whole crew mm-hmm. and making them move faster. Um, are there any other tricks of the trade? You know, are there any other things to do that you've seen improve mm-hmm. that velocity or, you know, yeah. can be kind of game changers for, for them? I think that um, when we launch in a new market, we'll do like geo-targeted ads, mm-hmm. you know, but again, that's something very, very specific and I don't recommend trying to do them yourself if you don't know what you're doing, because right. it's really easy to waste money on Facebook ads if you don't know how yeah. to do it. Yeah. Um, I actually recently took a class because I was like, I really just need to know like how this whole back end works, business right. manager. So, um, but there's lots of people that out there that teach, you know, how to do it, or if you want to hire someone to do it for you, but just to throw money at ads and not understand yeah, what's like, going don't on. Yeah, like hit that promote button. Don't oh yeah, do don't do the boost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, that's what we do when we're like, when we launched an HEB in Texas, right. Where we have like no physical press, like no brick and mortars, like no one from our team is there, you know, we did um, geo-targeted ads. And so that can be another thing aside from like demos, which again, no one can do right now. So that's right. really rough for a lot of people and, and just promotions. Like when we're not performing well, we'll just add more promotions yeah. because it's kind of the only thing we can do, you know, and it really does. I mean, it does, it does get people to try it. Yeah. And- and if you have a great product, once people try it, you know, mm-hmm. they'll buy it again. Absolutely. Um, okay. Last couple minutes. Yeah. What do you wish founders knew? What are mistakes that you see people making that you wish they didn't? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, anything sort of that comes up over and over and over in your in your class? Yeah, I think that, um, well, first of all, not knowing how to write a buyer, right? So we talked about that, like, it's yeah. not about you, right? Like your product is not about you. Like you have to have a service mindset. And mm-hmm. I'm just going to repeat that like a broken record until yeah. people understand, like really absorb that and like live that because it's like when you go to your friend's house and you're, do you start talking about yourself or do you ask them how they're doing? It's right. really just like that simple. It's like, you need to ask people what they need, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so talking about like mistake number one, like talking about themselves and their ingredients or story, like way too much up front before asking like what the store needs. Right. <laughs> um, and then um, mistakes like not understanding how chargebacks work is, yeah. is 
keeps me up at night, honestly, because I remember when I did it and when I found out, I was like, oh my God, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so really understanding that, um, you know, how those deductions work. Otherwise you think that you're making more money than you are. And that's really mm-hmm. dangerous. Yeah. Especially if CPG, especially if like being in grocery is your only channel, you yeah. know, like, like Van Leeuwen, we have our brick and mortar stores, right? So like it's, you know, grocery, we don't rely on grocery to survive as a business, you know? Right. Um, so really understanding how the math works and I get it. Like math was never my favorite subject, but it's, <laughs> you know, it is now, you know? <laughs> so I, I walk people through like how to like calculate margins versus markups and just understanding that difference is really important because yeah, it's knowing really, it's really confusing. Price your, your, your product at it got yeah. back down to that, you know? Yeah. Yes. And I would, I would say that maybe that might be number three. Like if you're selling direct to a store now, pretend like you have a distributor in the mix, right? Like it's like, just assume that that you're, like, getting, 25... you're the distributor. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So in other words, if you're selling direct, you should be making like a really good margin because you're assuming that like later down the line, you're going to put like a middleman in the mix and they're going to take like a 25 to 30 margin. Right? right. And you're going to now sell to the distributor for a distributor price, which is going to be less. Right. right. And they're going to own that wholesale price. So like, it's hard for some people to imagine like themselves in like two years, but it's just, I think it's really important to just pretend like you are already paying someone to make your product. Pretend like you have a distributor. If you don't like all of these things and build that into your pricing. Amazing. All right. Well, this was awesome. Like jam packed. Thank you. The the email alone was worth like 91 episodes. podcast. How do people reach you and sign up? Because my guess is that there are going to be some people wanting to sign up. Yeah. Right now, you know, I haven't launched my website yet. I've been working on it, but um, right now the only way to take the class is live with me. And we meet on Monday nights at 8 PM Eastern. It's a new group every month. Um, and they can find me on Instagram right now. So my Instagram handle is distro talk and just um, shoot me a message and I will send you info. Amazing. Um, Sandra, thank you so much. Thank Jess, you. Um, thank you for being our engineer. And we learned today that you are also a jazz singer because you learn these things, I guess, in a pandemic. <laughs> um, and everyone, thank you so much for listening. And I've been getting so many really just lovely notes and DMs and things like that. And I really appreciate it. Um, I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. Sandra, thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Um, And I'll be back. Thanks. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage radio network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community. Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please Join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.